Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start today's show, I would like to thank ARS Pharmaceuticals for their very kind support of FACT's Roundtable podcast. The circle of people and industries impacted by those who live with food allergies is wide. We're sitting at the FACT Roundtable with food scientist and researcher Melanie Downs from the Food Allergy Research and Resource Program at the University of Nebraska, fondly known as FARP. Melanie will help us understand why food science and manufacturing are critical for staying safe with food allergies. We'll discuss the relationship between food science, food allergies, and how manufacturing works when a person is living with a diagnosis of food allergy. Welcome, Melanie. We're absolutely delighted to host you once again on Facts Roundtable Podcast. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Excellent. Well, you know what? We're going to just dive right in and let's start off by learning more about your background and actually what you do as a scientist and a researcher. Sure. So I am currently an associate professor in the Department of Food Science and Technology at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I work within a group called the Food Allergy Research and Resource Program. And so my background is training is as a food scientist. So really a lot of what I do and what our group does is we take kind of food science concepts and apply them to important questions about food allergens. So a lot of my research focuses on how can we learn more about the proteins that cause allergies, what are their structures, what are their sequences, how do they behave in different environments. So we're doing all that kind of protein science stuff, which is kind of a a part of food science as well. So we also do a lot of work to develop new methods to detect allergens. So that's kind of the other big area that, that I work on. So now from the research part, how do you know what to research? Like who decides what you should be studying when? (laughs) I mean, that's a good question. You know, in an academic environment, in theory, it's all up to me, all up to the faculty member. But, you know, in reality, you look at what important questions are other stakeholders asking, right? So, for example, you know, what information do regulators need? What information does the food industry need about how to manage allergens? Maybe even what information do clinicians need to give better advice to their patients, right? So, it really is kind of about taking in information, figuring out where are their holes and know where might we be able to provide some more information that's that's relevant. Well, thank you for sharing that insight. I was a little curious about that. <laughs> I have to confess to you, I didn't even know 
that such a degree existed, food science, literally until my kids got food allergies. Yeah, that's not very uncommon, right? Most people don't think that much about food science as a field, but once you start to think about it, it really makes sense that we have to have scientists involved in in all of the things that go into making safe and healthy and nutritious food for everyone. And we're grateful for that. We need you. You're <laughs> yeah. very needed. This is a good career. <laughs> for sure. Now let's dive right into our topic and let's go right into it. What is food science? And then why is food science so important for food safety? Yeah, so I think food science, you can think about it as really everything that happens to a food from basically the time it's harvested to when you eat it as a consumer and then also how it interacts with your body when you eat the food. Really, all of the interactions that take place within a food, the chemical reactions that take place, for example, when a food is stored or when a food is cooked, right? What are the, the chemical processes that are happening there, right? I mean, one of the classical examples is Maillard browning, right? So when you brown a piece of meat, there's chemical reactions that then form that brown color and those nice flavors and things. So all of that kind of stuff is food science on the chemistry side. There's also a lot of microbiology in food science. So from a safety perspective, whether that's pathogenic microorganisms that we don't want in our food, right, like salmonella and certain types of E. coli, you know, all those sorts of issues. But food microbiologists also look at beneficial microorganisms, right? Like things used to make cheese or beer or all those sorts of good tasting products, right? A lot of microbiology, there's a lot of engineering that goes into the umbrella of food science. How do you actually, pro like how do you make the equipment to do a particular process that, that you need to be done. So whether that's how do you design a, a baking oven for a big manufacturing facility, right? That's kind of an engineering problem. And then what are the conditions you need for all of those pieces of equipment to actually make the food properly and efficiently? There's a lot of new folks within food science focusing on efficiency, making sure resource efficiency, using resources well, not producing a lot of excess waste products, making sure we don't have a lot of food waste, all of those sorts of things. We also then have people who work in food science that work on more how the foods interact with your body, right? So whether that's immunologists or other microbiologists, thinking about all those, those things. And so, you know, food chemistry, food microbiology, all of those are important parts of food safety in general. Well, we don't want to have pathogens in our food products, right? So that's obviously a key food safety topic. But we also don't want, you know, hazardous chemicals in food products. So food chemistry is important. You know, there are some natural products, you know, plants and things that have toxins in them. So we have to make sure that those don't get into the food supply chain. Really lots of other aspects as well. And, you know, there are some types of compounds that can be generated during food processing that we don't want. So really all of the pieces of food science kind of filter into 
microbiological hazards for foods and chemical hazards for foods, and obviously allergen hazards for foods as well, right? We usually fall a little bit more under the chemistry bucket. Obviously, they're not microbes. So, you know, we're, we, we treat them as a chemistry question in most of the cases. You know, what's the protein chemistry that's relevant and how do we deal with those food safety issues? This is absolutely fascinating to me. You know, I always had this vision since I was a kid, you know, it goes from the farmer, goes to this factory, all this magic happens, and then it comes out. But you really didn't know what was happening in the factory. And after listening to you, it's more than just workers. There's engineering and biology and chemistry and safety and so many elements. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's a lot that kind of can go into food safety. Everybody really has a role to play in food safety, right? So the microbiologists obviously have a role to play, but, you know, the engineers as well, right? We think about making sure that a product is cooked well enough so that we don't have pathogens in them. You need the microbiologist to tell you about how the organism behaves and what temperature and time you need to have. And then the engineer has to design the equipment and the processes to make sure that you're able to get to those temperatures and for the amount of time. And then you also have folks that work in laboratories that verify that the process has worked and there's no more pathogens possibly present in the product. So there's all sorts of roles for different folks within that kind of food safety arena, really thinking about it every step along the way in terms of what needs to be done across all the different types of hazards you can have in, in foods. Well, it really takes a village to make a cookie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, for sure. That's a whole different world there. Yeah. So now what else falls under the food safety umbrella? Well, obviously, allergens are also an important part uh, of the food safety umbrella. And there's also a lot of other aspects like making sure that you have good compliance with regulations. So in addition to kind of those chemistry, microbiology, other fields we talked about, you also have to make sure you have folks that understand the regulations related to safety and make sure that you're complying with all of those food safety laws and requirements. So, you know, those can be things like labeling and making sure that you have food safety plans in place that are appropriate for the particular product type you're working with. So there's really there's really a lot that can be involved there. Okay, so now let's just keep going down this deep path here about food science and food allergies. How and where do they intersect? We have a couple different areas. So on the one hand, understanding food proteins really relates to allergens because the allergens are the proteins from the food. So really, a lot of the things that, you know, general food chemists do, food protein chemists, those things can be applied then over to allergens, right? So we can understand how the proteins behave under different conditions. How do they respond to processing? But even things like how do we identify proteins that are present in different types of food products, right? So all of that protein chemistry is really important to kind of form that core foundation of really what do the allergens look like when they're in a food product? How are they behaving? What are they doing? How do they change? For example, if you heat them, then 
how does that affect how uh, an allergic individual may respond to those proteins, right? So really understanding everything that's happening with the proteins in those different systems. Then we also have the kind of more applied part, which again falls back under that food safety question, right? Making sure that we have ways to manage allergens in facilities. So trying to answer questions like, okay, how exactly do we clean equipment surfaces if we have shared equipment? What types of chemicals do you need to remove allergens from those surfaces? How then do you also make sure that the allergens have been removed. And so then that brings in kind of these detection methods can be used on surfaces directly, right, to make sure that the surfaces are clean, as well as methods that can be used for analyzing finished food products. So you clean the equipment, you validate that the equipment is clean, you do that with equipment type methods, then you may produce the next product. You also want to perhaps make sure that the finished product doesn't contain any allergen cross-contact. So there's also methods to do that as well. So developing those methods that are specific enough for food allergens and uh, provide all the information that we want. Another kind of whole field within food science and food safety and how those applications connect back together. So you mentioned just a moment ago about food proteins. So would an example of that be peanut oil? I've heard that some people say you actually can have peanut oil because the protein is actually removed. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So that is a good example. For oils in particular, it really depends on the type of oil that is involved. And so for some products, you have what we call highly refined oils. And so those have been really very robustly processed to remove any protein that could be left in there that could cause a reaction. Now, the processing is done for different reasons, but it does remove the protein. And there are clinical studies that have challenged allergic individuals with those types of oil. And peanut allergic individuals who consume highly refined peanut oil would not have a reaction. And they haven't in those clinical studies. Now, at the same time, there are different kinds of oils. We generally call them cold-pressed oils, so they're not highly refined. So this might be something more like a, like a boutique walnut oil or something, right, where you really want the flavor of that source to come through. And so a lot of times those are not highly refined. So individuals with that allergy should not consume that product because they may have reactions. It's a little confusing. I can, uh, you know, understand, you know, how do you know whether something's highly refined or not? Some people may choose to avoid the oils altogether, but the, the highly refined oils do have the protein removed. And so they are also then exempt from labeling because there's not a health risk to the allergic consumers. I don't know if that totally clears things up, but hopefully it's kind of a little bit more background on that. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that also just tells me how much we need you because without you and other fellow scientists learning this, we would not know any of this. Right. Yeah, it takes a lot of research to answer seemingly simple questions like that, right? We have to do a lot of digging to, to understand what products may or may not be suitable. That's why we need this army that's behind the scenes to the consumer. 
Now, turning our focus to manufacturing, and I know this question sounds really simple when the answer is complex, but how does food manufacturing actually work? You had mentioned before how food science looks at everything, you know, basically from the farm to out the door in the consumer's hand. But what is that magic that happens during manufacturing? Yeah, it is a lot of moving parts and pieces to to get from the beginning to the end. And you can really think about it as a, as a series of processing steps, perhaps. So first thing is that raw materials are harvested, generally plant materials or other things. You could think about whether that's a seed or let's say finished product has sugar in it, right? So you have to harvest the sugar beets or the sugar cane. And then those raw materials generally get processed into some intermediate ingredients at one manufacturer so. Whether it's making sugar out of sugar beets or perhaps flour going from the grain through the flour milling process to get you know, what we recognize as all-purpose flour or something to make a baked product. So generally, there's kind of an intermediate stage where it's really focused on processing of ingredients. And then you have other manufacturers that take those ingredients and combine them and process them to create the finished product that you see in the store, right? And so they make the product, they package the product, send it out to distributors, and then it gets to the retail level, the supermarket. And so along the way, each product and each ingredient is different. Usually the processing involves big buckets of types of processes, right? Like heating steps, right? Those are generally used for killing any microbes that you don't want there. Also generating the kind of taste and aroma and texture properties that you want. Think about like baking a cookie. So it's kind of a multifold function. There happen to be salmonella in your eggs or your flour in the raw ingredients. That baking step kills those bacteria. But you also get a cookie that has a nice aroma and flavor and texture, right, because of that baking process. There's other processes like separation or hydrolysis or other things for particular types of ingredients. Also just things like chopping and blending and other things that you can think about, things you do in your own home kitchen just on a ginormously larger scale. <laughs> so, so you know, a lot of the processes are not totally different than what you might do at home. It's just the scale is much different than you do at home. So then the equipment looks a little different and things like that. But, you know, the processes themselves are pretty much what you would do at home as well. Still the same, but like, what, a thousand, ten thousand <laughs> right. times larger, right? Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> Think, you know, a lot, most larger food facilities or multiple football fields in size, right? So <laughs> that's that's the kind of scale we're often thinking about. Kind of takes the romance out of it, I have to say. <laughs> when you go to the store and you open up this beautiful package, you see this beautiful cookie and this vision of grandma comes in your yeah. head. But really, there's like thousands <laughs> of workers. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of, you know, you lose a little bit of that, uh, as you said, the, the romance of the idea. But I think, uh, you know, it's also important to remember a lot of that is so that we can produce enough food efficiently that's safe for everyone, right? So that's kind of why we have these big centralized facilities, because it saves resources and, and all that stuff. So it's important to have scale sometimes. It's a good trade-off. It keeps us safe. Yeah. Putting on my consumer hat right now, 
how do we learn more about product safety? So I'll be in the grocery store, I'll grab a package, and it'll say good manufacturing practices. What does that mean exactly? Like, what are those practices? And then as a consumer, how do I get more information? Should I go to a website? Should I call the manufacturer? Like, what is your suggestions for people like me? Yeah, so that's a interesting question with maybe a very boring answer. But so good, good manufacturing practices actually have a regulatory definition. There are sets of things that food manufacturers should be doing to make sure that they basically are producing food in a sanitary way. Traditionally, most of the good manufacturing practices really dealt with microbiological issues. There's if you if someone's very interested in all the good manufacturing practices, they're in the code of federal regulations. <laughs> and so there's a whole long description of that. Essentially it's things like making sure that the building that the food is being produced in is sometimes it's kind of shocking, but you want to make sure the building is fully enclosed, that you don't have the ability for pests to get into a food manufacturing facility, right? I mean, you have a lot of food products in there and that's obviously attracts a lot of unsavory critters if you're not having things controlled well. A lot of the traditional GMPs were reflected that kind of microbiological hazards, right? And just making sure things were in a sanitary environment. Now, with the Food Safety Modernization Act that was passed a few years ago, the FDA updated all of the good manufacturing practices that they have written down that that are requirements to also include things related to food allergens. So, For example, it's making sure that if you have equipment that it's cleanable and, you know, that was kind of always in the good GMPs, but now it's cleanable for microbes and allergens. So it's kind of layering on top of all of the history of food safety requirements, putting down on paper some of the expectations for allergens. Good manufacturing practices are really kind of a a baseline that no matter what type of product you're doing or anything, every food manufacturing facility should follow good manufacturing practices. They're required to do that by law. I think what's perhaps more pertinent in a lot of cases is, again, with the Food Safety Modernization Act, that now requires food manufacturers to have a food safety plan. So they have to have a written plan that describes all of the ways that they're going to control different hazards in foods. Really, they come down to those microbiological hazards, chemical hazards, which includes allergens, some other types of physical hazards and things. And so food manufacturers are required to have a plan that really involves identifying what hazards might be relevant for their particular product in their particular facility, and then having what we call preventive controls. So controls to prevent that food safety hazard from occurring in place. More broadly speaking, so for microbiological hazards, for example, again, if we're thinking about cookies. So the hazard might be that your, again, your eggs or your flour may have salmonella in them. 
right? And your control is the baking step. So you have to make sure that that baking step does what it needs to do to kill the microbes. And you have lots of documentation in place that they're always baked and all those things. For allergens, a lot of the controls are going to be controls to make sure things are labeled properly. That's always a big consideration. So having specific controls around making sure things are labeled and then controls to prevent cross-contact. So if you have shared equipment, for example, what are the cleaning procedures? What are those controls? And, you know, again, part of the important part is for the food manufacturer, that's a written down set of protocols that they need to follow and that they're really accountable for. I think there's a lot of information about what are good ways to do that available. Not all food manufacturers publish those partly because each facility has their own food safety plan because they may be making different products that may have different hazards and things. But that is a really key development that's taken place. And so if you were to call customer service number, they should be able to at least provide you some general information, although it may not be as fully publicly available. It should be there, right? By law, they are required to have a food safety plan. Hopefully that adds a little bit of confidence that even if you can't always see them as the customer, those are required to be there and to be pretty thorough. And FDA inspectors look at those when they go to facilities and, and all those sorts of things. I feel like you're opening the doors to Willy Wonka's factory here, <laughs> and we're actually getting to see and hear this. This is fascinating. And on those controls, who then reviews it? So if a manufacturer creates their plan and they have their written controls, is there an entity that comes in and says, okay, that's a great control or that control is not going to cut the mustard here? So this is maybe getting in deep. So the FDA can come in and do that at any time. However, the, the frequency of that is maybe lower than you might expect. But quite a few food manufacturers, um, especially larger manufacturers, also undergo what we call third-party audits. So there are organizations that have standards that they require manufacturers to meet as well. Most of the time, those go even above and beyond the legal minimums. They're also generally a little bit more global in nature. So they take into consideration other requirements as well. So a lot of food manufacturers for their own self-check to make sure things are going well in all their facilities. They'll have these third-party auditors come in and do inspections and a really thorough review of food safety plans. Sometimes you may also hear those be called HACCP plans. We won't go into too much of the, the difference. That's just kind of a old versus new language or a FDA versus other regulators language, but it's basically the same thing. Those third-party auditors can be really impactful because they're able to come more frequently in really large food manufacturers. They may have their own internal auditors. So kind of a corporate level group of folks who go out to their own facilities to conduct food safety audits to make sure that, you know, each individual facility is doing things the way that the company thinks is is important to maintain all the, the food safety values that the company has. So there's lots of different types of inspections and lots of different audit schemes and all those things, but there's there's a lot of folks working in that in that area. 
Well, you are just a wealth of knowledge, and I just appreciate how you're taking, again, this kind of mystery and breaking it down in lay terms that we can all understand. So now just focusing on you, how are you actually connected to our listeners? How are you part of our (laughs) food allergy world here? Yeah, you know, on the, it's kind of a little bit both on the research side. Again, a lot of what we're trying to understand is what are those molecules of the food allergen proteins? What do they do when they get inside an allergic individual's body? And what are the important characteristics of those proteins, you know, that would cause a reaction, right? So really trying to understand all of those components more, which obviously is all about how the allergic food interacts with the allergic consumer, right? We're really trying to understand those connections. But then also, you know, on the other side, we're working on developing new and better and improved methods that food manufacturers can use to make sure their controls are working like they're supposed to work, making sure that we have good ways to verify that things are well within control in in these food manufacturing facilities. We also do uh, kind of outside the research space, we do work with food manufacturers themselves to, you know, talk to them about their food safety plans We have training events that we do for food manufacturers to come and learn about allergens, the controls that work best in all sorts of different scenarios and everything they need to consider about allergen management. A lot of different avenues, but really trying to cover a lot of the space of the behind the scenes things that happen in food manufacturing. So while I'm busy sleeping, you're busy making sure (laughs) we're going to be safe. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I could listen to you talk all day long, but we actually have a limit here. So before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want listeners to hear from you? You know, I think just emphasizing that there really is a a large community of professionals that are dedicated to food safety. I went to a conference this summer, and you know, there's thousands of individuals at this conference from all across the globe that are really focused on making sure that we as a society can provide safe foods for everyone that are abundant, nutritious, affordable, and safe uh, above all. So there's a lot of folks working on this and we're really dedicated to the cause. Well, we appreciate your work and we appreciate you and your time here today. So thank you so much for joining us. And I do look forward to having you back on the show again. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much, Caroline. Before we say goodbye today, I just want to take a moment to pause and say thank you to ARS Pharmaceuticals for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.